0: My name is Claudia Green, and this is She Did That, the podcast shining a spotlight on remarkable women who are breaking barriers and proving that greatness knows no gender. From female founders who have raised millions of pounds, the investors changing the landscape as we know it, to survivors of tragedy who have achieved the amazing and many more, we will share the stories of these incredible women who will inspire and empower you. In order to support us and these women, Please subscribe on your viewing or listening channel of choice so we can continue our mission of sharing the stories that should and need to be heard. So, today's guest is the Ultimate Girl Boss. She co-founded a business with her sister, aged 21, with no commercial experience. She has raised over a hundred million pounds to date and is creating a new asset class within the food industry. I am really excited to welcome Jeannie Newton. Jeannie, thank you so much for being here. I've been really, really excited to get you on the podcast because to me, you are the epitome of the girl boss. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> so you. I'm really excited to delve into everything. You've obviously accomplished a lot. Um, so yeah, let's get started. It sounds like it's been a journey. It sounds like you need a very elongated sabbatical holiday. Oh Imagine <laughs> this is me announcing that I'm going away. <laughs> not for long though not without your laptop two days okay (laughs) exactly that's the, the life of an entrepreneur um but no seriously I'm in awe of your journey you've accomplished so much and I think it's a real example to other people of how you can achieve things and be successful and you are the epitome of an entrepreneur because you've been so scrappy and your hustle mentality is incredible so let's let's go back to the beginning Mm -hmm. you grew up in London with your three siblings yes sister and two brothers
1: I have two brothers two older brothers and his older sister so I'm the youngest the baby of the family (laughs) and um yeah I've got two brothers who are a little bit older Mm -hmm. so um learned,
2: uh, have I learned anything from them?
1: Maybe I should say it just because. <laughs> you to this. How to defend yourself. Yeah how to, defend, yeah. How to protect my food because like that's <laughs> thing, big families like yeah the dinner table is a stressful place so <laughs> I actually eat really quickly because of them and that's a real problem because I've always been like don't take my food. <laughs> but yeah, so grew up in London, um, but my sister and I are like the closest of ages. And obviously we run both the businesses together too.
0: Yeah. Okay, so we're gonna delve into that. And your parents are both entrepreneurs. Yes. How did that kind of equip you sort of mindset and capability wise for what you've achieved now?
1: Yeah, so my dad had a, both my parents had factories in Bermondsey next door to each other. That's how they met. And growing up, you know business was a big part of our world you know Mm. when you run your own businesses there are good months and bad months and I think Eki and I saw the nature of like having your own business and what that did to our parents and it just felt very normal so holidays if we went on holiday they were on the phone a lot of the time Mm. and I used to always be really frustrated like oh my god why why are they always on the phone but now I really get that Mm. so I think that that set us up in the way that we, it, starting your own business didn't feel like a risk. It just felt like it's something that you do, you make money, you test, you try and expand. And I don't think in our heads, we really realized it was just like, we didn't go into it, but like we're gonna start our own biz- business. We just went into doing something, making a product, making money, and then it grew into a business. It wasn't mm-hmm. like a long-term plan or a business plan. It really just, we fell into it. And I think probably having two parents that had done their own thing, um, mm-hmm set
0: us up for that so when you initially started the business in your mind was it okay maybe this is actually just going to be a small business yeah you didn't have like these huge 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 growth plans 100 i mean karma cans
1: our first business corporate catering um we went into it very much like my sister was a chef she worked in lots of different restaurants across london mm. and we pretty much just like fell into making a product to money and we were mm. doing it out of our mom's kitchen I didn't want to work with my sister at all actually at that time we were very we saw very different people but we weren't even that close mm. um we got closer from working together and I had big plans for my future definitely I actually wanted to work for you know a company I definitely didn't want to do my own thing and Eki likewise was moving to actually she was going to um Istanbul to she was doing a master's in conflict and terrorism and she had a job that might take her to assemble. so we really were just like doing this to make money and we love food and it was really fun at yeah. the beginning so no business plan we just kind of fell into it and then it just grew from that point on mm. when I left university and I just was like okay like maybe we should start selling this to a few more people offices and then it grew in a very gradual way but there wasn't like a plan that went into the this is our business, and this is our finances, and this is gonna raise money. The first business was very much like it just happened.
0: Yeah. And what's really rare and unusual is that you've pretty much gone from university to running your own company. Yeah. You didn't work for anybody else, which is definitely n- not a common path yes. to take. Um, it's incredible. But tell me a bit about the early days of mm-hmm. Karma Cans, like. Day one, you just thought, right, we're gonna start a corporate catering company. How did you get clients?
1: Yeah, it was um, probably not working in an office. Well, I'd worked in more kind of hospitality. So like on the ground work and I think probably we made every mistake in the book, Mm. not having that experience to bring to the table. It's Mm. pretty, um, you're learning on the job. So Mm. everything from like hiring to management, those were big learning curves. it started really with a friend of ours was having this auction for charity and he said, Do you girls have a skill you can auction off? And Eki was making these incredible meals for herself at at uni every day. She made, she's just an incredible chef. She's just, it's inspirational watching her like come up with different recipes. And so she said, I'll do a week of packed lunches. And that's kind of where it started. This one office, Chancery Lane, this guy loved our food and he ordered it every single day for himself. And then he was like, oh, I want this for my whole team. And so that was when... It was born really, and the interesting thing is, delivery wasn't a thing back then. Delivery didn't exist. It was actually deliverance was the. I don't know if you remember deliverance. Never heard of deliverance. It was like the first you could have anything you wanted from any like country, and it was cooked in one kitchen. And it was yeah, that was like before delivery, and that was the only kind of delivery product. And the biggest, the hardest sell was actually selling in delivery. So I remember telling people we're doing a delivery corporate like lunch business. And so many people were like, why would I want food delivered to my desk? It's 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 weird to think about that now, but at the time, people didn't really want, like they wanted to go out for lunch, mm. but something was changing the market. It was basically after, this was 2014. So 2008 was obviously, we had a really bad recession and there was a big recovery. And in that recovery period, people were working harder than ever. They didn't have two hours for lunch. They had like 20 minutes mm. and something was changing the market. Now with business with businesses, um, often a gap opens, an opportunity, and it's all about timing. I didn't know that this was happening in the market. I didn't have a business plan, and I wasn't smart enough to think about things like that. The time I was 21. So things were changing where this amazing opportunity was opening up, where people needed like a fast, healthy fix, mm. and that's where Karma was born. So in the early days, it was just us two. We were running from my mum's kitchen in Clerkenwell, and... Well, and doing not that many lunches but thinking we were doing like a crazy trade but we didn't really have overheads like it was so it's revenue driven everything we made went back into buying the ingredients making Mm. a small amount of profit really like didn't understand much more about a business than that so we grew in a very gradual way Mm. then from that point on my mum was like get out of my kitchen you're taking over (laughs) and we were like okay the next step is we have to find our own space Mm. and there was not really infrastructure to help food businesses grow. So we took a club kitchen in Soho mm-hmm. and we used their space for like eight hours in the morning. Um, and we were probably a nightmare to share their kitchen with. <laughs> we were kids, you know, and we didn't really understand about like health and safety regulations. Again, learning on the on mm. the job. They were amazing because like they put up with us. Um, and eventually after three months in their kitchen, they were like, it's time for you guys to leave oh. because we were just taking over. I mean, our volumes were high. I mean, thou thinking about the volumes that weren't that high, but we were probably doing, you know, 100 meals a day, which felt but like I think that's lot. quite
0: high volume,
1: I guess for- yeah, uh, <laughs> it, it, it was, it, it it was, 100% it is. Um, and it felt like impossible. Yeah. And every day was a challenge. We're like, how are we going to get this food out on time? And at that point we hired like our first kind of chef to help out. We hired a cyclist. So previously it was Eki and me doing all the cooking- fighting loads because we were overlapping in our roles. And then we hired, and then Ekki would cycle all the lunches oh across London. I was really bad at cycling, so I got <laughs> away with not doing much cycling. Um And so then we hired our first team members. And at that point, we moved out of that kitchen. It was yeah. Just like so much you can see like moving. Yeah, It's very hectic the first kind of few years. Yeah. And then we took a shipping container in Hatney and we put a kitchen in there, a secondhand kitchen, Um we, yeah, we kitted it out. We traded lots of favors at a friend who was a plumber and he was starting a business too. So I said, I'll do all your food for your investors and your pitchers. And can you plumb our kitchen for free? So it was all a lot of that, basically. Early hustling. Exactly. Built that <laughs> kitchen. And then within three months, we were doing 300 meals from that space. We had to move again. So the whole journey of Karma Counts just feels Lots of building, construction, capex, moving again.
0: And how are you... Because obviously, like, in the early days, you don't really have a marketing budget. You're just making this small profit from each meal. How are you getting your name out there? Can I just say I
1: still have not... I don't have a marketing team in any of the businesses. Yeah, we've never had done marketing. That's really interesting. Which is really wild. And actually... This week I hired a marketing manager at Karma Kitchen and the team were like, finally, <laughs> finally marketing. I was like, yeah, marketing, you know, sales is the first thing that we care about. I'm now learning that now it's time for marketing, but I've never done marketing at all. It's all through having. So I guess my background, Um, obviously I've never worked in another business doing mm. a role, but I realized that like sales and commercials where I... Kind of love, and that's where I feel really comfortable. So, how we got our name out at Cannes was, I would basically research office managers or like buildings mm. and find the person's name who was in charge of catering. So, normally in corporate catering, sits with office managers, facility managers, receptionists, EAs, and I would basically pretend. This sounds really bad, but I would pretend I had a meeting with those people and I would turn up at their office with food and say, Hey, it's Jeannie from Karma Cans. I've got a meeting with so-and-so. And they'd be like, Oh, really? And quite often I would get in front of that person and be able to say, like, look, I've got some free food. And most of the time they'd be like, Wow, free food. Sometimes they'd be really freaked out and be like, Why Freak are you here? Out. And who are you? And can you get out of my office? But that was how I got us out there. And I only needed a few customers at the beginning to really get the product out there and then with corporate catering you know you win one office you win win 100 people sometimes so Mm. originally it was individuals and corporate and then delivery came into the market and that really made us rethink our model you know we couldn't compete with individual delivery Mm. it was also really expensive and hard to do so we moved fully just to corporate and that was the Best really decision we ever made because rather than setting to 50 individuals, mm. we're setting to one office with yeah. 50 people. So it changed our margin. Um, but it took, you know, learning about that and growing, making mistakes to understand that that was a better model for us. Um, but getting our name out was really just about like picking up the phone. I mean, really just calling and turning up at people's offices. That's is, really that's ballsy freaky.
0: because most people in. like in their early sales career are on a a telephone, like you're turning up. Yeah, it's really, really (laughs) weird. Face to face. And then
1: I remember hiring a team and I called it guerrilla sales. I guess it's similar to guerrilla marketing where you basically had, had like I gave all of these like I guess sales managers I mean we didn't really have titles back then because we didn't know who even we were we just found mm. this and I just briefed them on the plan so you would take a bag of lunches like you would take six and we'd plan out your route and you would turn up at all of their offices with a lunch and you would take you would know about the business and you would just talk about karma cans and then you would follow up and that's how we that was our strategy so yeah it was kind of scrappy and crazy but now that's how we did it. That's that's how we got most of our beginning clients. And then we were so lucky. Huffington Post um, did a piece on Eki and I, oh my which was mad, and it made us feel some. This is when we were still in our mum's kitchen, and yeah. we were pretending. It was all like very much <laughs> fake it to make it. We were pretending. We were pretending we're a lot bigger than we are,
2: yeah.
1: um, than we were. And they did an amazing piece on us, so it got our brand out there too. And that was the first bit of press. And then we got like a bit of quite a lot of press because we were the first people doing delivery. It felt like a new concept. Mm. It was all about sustainability, reusing packaging, doing everything with bike deliveries. Um, So it felt very original at that Mm. time. Now, this sounds really weird talking about the originality of delivery, but it felt really original at the time, pre all of these big delivery companies. Um, So really, sales was the key to us getting our name out there, like sales focused.
0: I think it's interesting what you say, faking it till you make it, because that is so Mm. true. Like I started my business sitting on my grandma's bed. And (laughs) I was taking all my first calls on my grandma's bed. And then I worked with a really big FinTech and they were like, tell me about your operation. And I was like, grandma, I'm just jumping on a call right now. And she was like, be quiet. And I'd be like, well, we've got a team. We've got, we didn't have a team. It was literally just me. But I think it's like, yeah, I think that's a really important thing is like, you do have to fake it till you make it.
1: I know. And there was this really funny moment where we were doing a partnership with a big drinks brand Mm. and The guy who was, like, running this partnership was such a, you know, he's become a friend, such a great um, person. And Mm. he actually went on to start his own businesses, so we've really worked together. But at that time, he said, oh, my God, can I come see your kitchen operation? And we just... (laughs) We're like oh we're we're really busy we're in our mom's kitchen still so we didn't know we didn't want to tell the truth so we're just like oh it's just really hectic right now so busy um let's meet at a coffee shop and again we just didn't want anyone to know the truth of like how small we were because Mm. then it would just take away from like you know the look and the feel of the business and Mm. you want to look like you're bigger than you are you want to look very professional and of course you're still making a really good product and you still have like the right food hygiene it's just that you are not as big as your website might make you look
0: <laughs> no but it's like the chicken and the egg isn't it really because people want to use trusted yeah companies and um, people who can sort of attest to how well you do things but how do you get your first big b- break essentially which is always like the difficult one but you're right you just have to go in there and be ballsy it's like when I started my business I spoke to I emailed HR to do their recruitment literally 10 times and they were like just just drop it we don't want to work with you and so I did six combinations of the CEO's email address oh yeah know and I messaged him well. and I was just like I'm sure you know how it feels and he, it just struck a chord and he was like, meet me in Starbucks tomorrow. And he's literally, this guy's worth eight billion now. And he was like, everyone ignored me except him. But it's like, sometimes you do just have to be yeah. really, really, really ballsy with it and just go for it. Definitely. And I think if you have a product
1: that you believe in, mm. like, I knew our food was good I just needed to get it in front of the right person and so I could be really confident mm. in going into that meeting or turning up at someone's office and be like okay I actually think you're going to really like this mm. so yeah it does it does
0: work and what's it like working with your sister <laughs>
1: yeah it's amazing it honestly is I mean at the beginning talking about the early days of karma hands, it came with its challenges mm. you know we're very different people and we think in completely different ways. And at the beginning, because we didn't know what our roles were, mm. we were overlapping on a lot of tasks and that's where the friction really starts. And I think with any co-founders, if you are doing the same role, mm. that's when you probably will fight. The key and the pivotal moment for us was when we started to trust each other at what we were good at. So I'm mm. more on the commercial side and she's more on the kind of strategy side mm. and operation side. So when I realized like Eki is so unbelievable what she does, mm. I just need to, I can just leave her to it and I know she's gonna do an amazing job. That's Mm. when like that trust and that division of labor is like the key Mm. to success. Um, And the only time we really disagree is when we start like working on the same part Mm. of a business. Um, The key to siblings is that you can be completely honest. And I think with colleagues, it's really hard to be completely transparent. Well, it's like, don't sue me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you have to, but the best relationships are the most honest ones, right? progression only happens when you can say exactly how you're feeling and the things that you need and the things that you want. And with siblings, um, especially siblings that think in such different ways that run a business together, mm. we do, you know, Eki's a ma- a big thinker, like her, her ideas are incredible. I'm more of an executor. Mm. So I can basically tell her when it's time to execute on some of these crazy ideas and i can tell ideas that are not good ideas that are great Mm. and we just found a really great you know relationship that works well for us and it's based on true honesty but it's definitely harsh at times you know we really can be quite brutal when you're raising money um that's a really challenging time it really can stretch anyone's relationship um Mm with your team with your colleagues it's a very intense environment and we're super critical of each other when we're pitching when Mm. we're rehearsing you have to be in that in that world because it has to be perfect and Mm. that's probably led us to have um these two businesses because we we work well we're very honest and I can tell her when she's a nightmare and she can tell me (laughs) we can move on we can forgive each other and we can get to a solution really quickly
0: I think you can have that with siblings. And I'm not saying all siblings because I have heard horror stories as yeah. well. But I think the key ingredient of what I've heard and from people I've interviewed is that trust is the number one thing yeah. w- if you're partners. And that's really hard when you meet someone or even if you've worked with them, you don't really truly know a person yeah. when and, until you've gone through something quite difficult. But I guess if you've grown up in the same house and not killed each other, then there's a good indicator that it might work. of
1: course you trust each other. You know that... You can't just leave, you can't just walk away. Even though I remember the early days at Karma Cans. I did leave. I walked out. I I, I walked out and nowhere to go. We were living together at home. And I was so angry. I like said, I'm I'm leaving. And then I sort of like walked around the block a few times. Like, you oh, were like, okay. oh shit, I've got nowhere to go. Yeah, yeah i to go back.
0: <laughs> That's <laughs> so it. So embarrassing, yeah. have gotta
1: go back. <laughs> gotta get the food out.
0: I think it also I think age helps as well. As you get older, yeah. it does become a bit easier, like my brothers helped me with my business, and now I'm able to take his criticism and advice. But I would have scratched his eyes out if, if ten yeah. years ago he'd have tried to tell me what to do. Definitely.
1: I think the other thing is when you hire external people into your team, you have to start being more professional. And that shifts the way that you speak to each other. Like you can't at the first person we hired, I feel really sorry for that person because <laughs> we were probably like fighting, it was really, really awkward. I hate you! I know, and <laughs> I just feel for that person now. But when you you learn like actually you can't make your team feel uncomfortable yeah look there are times in meetings where we share a look <laughs> I've kicked her <laughs> to the table before don't worry <laughs> but like you know it you learn how to be more professional and of yeah. course we are siblings and part of working for siblings is that it, it's comical like sometimes we do have like disagreements um and that's
0: part of the fun <laughs> yeah well at least you don't live together as well we did during COVID. Oh,
1: okay. We don't anymore. It was too much. Like, yeah, That's we really had a period where we did live together with with uh, five of our friends, which was great.
0: Oh my god, that sounds really fun. And COVID, and, and obviously, Eki's a chef. Yeah, well, we so all love wonderful. cooking, so
1: Eki and I did take a lot of the cooking on, but it was brilliant.
0: <laughs> so let's talk about COVID. Yeah, corporate catering company Quintus. in a time where there are no offices open. How the hell did you survive?
1: Yeah, that was a bleak time. I mean. I remember the week before lockdown and on the Monday, um, having a meeting with a team and setting out three plans, A, B and C. And mm. C was that we were going to go into a lockdown. And I, s- I remember saying like, C won't happen. It's not going to happen, but A and B might. And that's what we have to deal with. But I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure C won't happen. And the crazy thing is, you're, you know, very little. Your team are looking at, at you to have the answers Mm. but like everyone no one really had been in this position before Mm. and so C did happen we went into a lockdown and it was it was really you know everyone did panic for a little bit like the first two weeks knowing what you know we lost it was our busiest month as well we were having the busiest year and suddenly all of our clients disappeared overnight and we didn't know how long for so you know corporate catering was the first thing to really go because offices shut down so Mm. you know other people were working remotely but for us like that was the so final option like, it's gone so what are we gonna do our team were incredible we spent two weeks trying to think about how who needs food and how can we use our space right we have a, a big commercial kitchen a big cpu in hackney we've got an incredible team mm. and the team just like what joy, this was just such an amazing time for us because we just like had the, a moment to step back which we haven't in, in nine years, you know, Karma Cans. we've been running for nine years and we'd never had an opportunity to pause, think about our business, think about Mm. our margin, think about who we wanna be. This two weeks was just like a brainstorming session where everyone was like, okay, what can we do? We tried a lot of different things. We tried to live wasn't right for us. And then we thought about NHS catering. Mm. So that was what we focused on during COVID. We got a contract with the NHS, so we did it through a charity and we were doing a thousand meals a day for different hospitals. Oh my goodness. So it was very wild, like when everything was closed, it was the first time I'd been in the kitchen for years as well. So Eki and I would also go and do some shifts in the kitchen, hairnets on, gloves, yeah, PPE. Um, and the team were amazing. It was incredible to work with such a great team during that period. And a thousand meals a day for us, like we were used to doing high volume, but it just felt incredible like working so closely with this team make we had to do a whole new menu because obviously to make it work Mm. we had to think about like how also it had to be really healthy it had to keep you know the the nurses the doctors everyone going in the hospital so it was just yeah it was it was a lot and it was a time where I remember going home my housemates hadn't seen anyone else and I was working with a team every single day Mm. going going to the kitchen every day um and that really took us through Uh, that saved the business. You know, it saved, it kept our team in work. It kept everyone together. It Mm. was just an incredible time. And then coming out of COVID, that was a, we didn't know what it was going to look like. So it took a while to kind of recover because we came out of lockdown, we went back into lockdown. Mm. So it was a very challenging time mm. but now it feels like corporate catering is is booming and people are going back to the office mm. and we we're actually so surprised we thought it would take a lot longer to see people go back to a normal way of working it may be three days in the office but those three days they're spending money on catering to get you know morale up and to get people back in so catering is having a real moment right now which is exciting
0: yeah and i think it's amazing to have been able to withstand the whole period of covid and what it sounds like is i mean did you turn a profit that year
1: we did yeah which is incredible because we were a lean we were a lean team i mean it was a tight one but we we didn't lose money and that was unbelievable really yeah um we did a lot of different projects for kind of vulnerable people as well mm. and shelters and stuff like that where it was just like at cost you know mm. but we did those things because it felt like it was this strange time where everyone felt like they were working together and we were trying to help anyone that was vulnerable. Mm. And the NHS thing was amazing because it's high volume, but it allowed us to do other projects that mm. were just like basically giving food really away at cost. Um, but it it was a really important thing to do at that time. I think everyone was just trying to, if you had space, it was all about how you can utilize it to help the vulnerable people that needed food. Mm. And that was quite a weird way of running a business where before you're, your clients are corporate and mm. you're trying to make profit this was like how can we who can we help how can we keep our team how can we keep everyone working through this time we don't know how long it's going to be and mm. it was just I never run a business like that so it was a, it made me think in a different way but coming out of COVID that knowledge and understanding margin and realizing that basically if you just reinvent your whole product for one customer group you can actually turn a potential profit yeah I need to think about my business in a whole different way and so mm. it made me think in a different way about mechanics when we left COVID.
0: Mm. We've got to be really scrappy and kind of change up, change up your ideas in order to adapt to a new market. And that COVID period was about survival. So we survived and that's
1: all that really mattered. You were just trying to survive Mm. um, and cover our costs just a little bit. And if you can make a tiny profit on that, that's fantastic. The next year is about like, okay, recovery. And now it's like, okay, how can we be really profitable?
0: Yeah. So talk to me about Karma Kitchens because you started off with Karma Cans and then Karma Kitchens was born. How did that come about? What was the idea behind it? So, through
1: Karma Cans and running a catering business, the thing I learned was that I spent a lot of my time and my money on building kitchens and not enough on sales and marketing Mm. and hiring a really good team. And if I was to start again, if I had a solution to Building my own kitchen, spending my money in that place, I think it. I could have been a lot. I had. I could have had more, more success faster. So, with Karma Cans, we obviously moved kitchens three times in one year. We spent a lot of money on equipment, and bear in mind, secondhand equipment, it's so not even good equipment. Um, and I wish that there was a solution. And that made us think when we took our final kitchen in Hackney, which Kansas is still in today, it was a big jump in rent and we were really worried about how we were going to cope with that increased rent, but we knew we had to take this lease and it was a five-year lease, a lot more expensive than the kitchen container that we had. And we subletted it to different people in food. So... We rented a tiny corner to Island Poké, who did rice production. They were a lot smaller then. And they did a bit of rice production in one corner of our kitchen. 26 Grains, who has a shop in Neil's Yard, Mm. did catering in our space. And we had a pickle house who does amazing, like, pickle juice and Bloody Mary McShee rented space storage space from us. And we actually built our office as a mezzanine above our kitchen so it was a really it was 600 square foot but it was a really high warehouse so we knew we needed office space so we put like industrial kind of um scaffolding above it and our office was above our kitchen how do you even think of this stuff just because you need it and this is like out of need you're like okay let's just and I met a scaffolding guy who was doing some construction at the end of the road and I said like how much would it cost and he was like yeah sure just paying cash I was like okay great so he built me a little office um it's just wild thinking about this, but we used to climb a ladder to our office and every time there was like something like chilies on the menu, it would like burn our eyes while we were working and I'd be on a sales mm. call and you could oh, you could hear like the extraction in the background. So we had this space that was not built to be shared, but we made it work by letting it out to different people in the food to help us have a bigger space. And mm. that's just not feasible for every other business. So we wanted to build, we came up with this idea. Actually, my mom said something really funny to me. She said, look, we were having a a really tough time at Karma Cans at this stage. And she said, you could make more money if you just rented out your space. And I was so angry that she said that. But it must have stuck with me for a while. And the weird thing is that after Eki and I came up with Karma Kitchen, we came up with this idea to build industrial kitchens that were amazing, like co-working kitchens, a space that is meant to be shared for lots of different people in food across the whole food sector Mm. at that point then karma can started doing really really well so we sort of like we were torn whether to start two businesses and a lot of people said why would you start another business you already have a really successful business but at that point we just got to a really good point with karma cans. an amazing team were behind it and it allowed us to have the headspace to step back a bit and Mm. focus on karma kitchen so then karma kitchen was born Um, it was a very different business it It you know not revenue driven you can't just build kitchens you need capex you need to raise money so I learned about a totally different type of business which is you have a business plan and you have to pitch and that was all very new to me so it was born as a solution for something I needed when I started my business and I sometimes I do think the best businesses are born from something that you need and it's a solution
0: led business so yeah so as someone with well no prior commercial experience working anywhere else other than for yourself, let alone fundraising experience. Yeah. How did you tackle that?
1: Yes, that was that was a real journey. Fundraising, we were really slow at fundraising firstly because we had no idea how to go about it. Um, we knew that we needed to raise, so we did a seed round for our first site in Hackney. Now, when we started the business, I really thought, okay, we'll build one or two sites in London mm. and that's really the business we spoke to different angels and that was the route in it took us yeah it took us a long time and the we had an incredible landlord who was Karma landlord mm. and because we knew him really well he gave us our first site so it was a leasehold site and because i don't think we would have been able to work with a other landlord who didn't know us because we had no track record and so We had the site and that helped us and we had the business plan. And because we had these two things that helped us kind of look a little bit more serious and we raised a small seed round to build our first site. Mm. And our first site, Eki and I and our friend basically did all of the design. (laughs) Um, Looking back at that site, it's very different to our now sites. It still exists. It's still really popular. But our first site in Hackney was only 3,000 square foot. And we opened it and it was just amazing it like we filled it up with all different people and food doing different things very catering focus really um and yes it was it this was just you know it was before
0: covid i think our first
1: site was yeah it was 2018
0: so it's all quite re- it's all grown quite quickly yes if you actually put it into perspective from opening a new business on top of an existing one fundraising yes that's it's it's a lot it's definitely but it sounds like it's actually really fun like you've got an amazing community of people yeah. within the food industry that get to share the struggles with each other because I don't know much about catering yeah um apart from helping my best friend do her child's first birthday party and I was crying after three hours so if that's any reflection of Long what it's hours like. catering
1: it puts it puts you in a good place for basically running like a catering business that's revenue driven puts mm-hmm. you in a great position for like the raising money journey and like building a business yeah. um with investors money because catering the early days you're working seven days a week you are working long hours you start very early and um you become very resilient to that type of work Mm. and running a bootstrap business um you have to make money you have no choice otherwise you can't hire a team you can't buy a bike you can't you know we would have these decisions where we needed a new oven and we needed a new bike and we didn't know what to prioritize and that's the situation you're in so when starting Karma Kitchen, Eki and I ran it in a very similar way and we still do. It's like, we run it like it doesn't have any money. Like you have to turn profit. It's mm. That's the, the, a priority. And yeah, the, the way that we run Karma Kitchen is I think a result of that.
0: And are there any moments, and I'm sure there are many, but have there been any moments where you've actually thought to yourself, this might not work. We have to think of plan B, whatever that might be.
1: At Karma Cans, catering, the catering world has been up and down. And there have been many moments where I thought we were going to fail. That is definitely a part of our journey. And um, amazingly, you know, we're still here today after COVID. I thought we were going to have to close at one point in COVID. So yes, with Karma Cans, 100%, I think every founder has that journey. With Karma Kitchen, again, when we were raising money, it was very challenging and there was a point where We went to raise money, and we went into lockdown one. Uh, I think we were month one, yeah, three three weeks into the first lockdown, and we were raising a substantial amount of money. Mm. And we thought that we were closing, and we'd done the legal work, and the money was going to be in our account. And very sadly, our investors at the time—they were brilliant, um, but who could have predicted COVID and a lockdown? Their fund fall collapsed, and at that point, yes. That was when I, I, Eki and I are are pretty strong, but I I hit a real wall. We were in COVID. You don't have your family and you suddenly have a business where you thought you had a certain amount of money coming to your account. And I'd started building another location. I had a whole Mm. build team and that fund had collapsed. And so I had three, well, we had three weeks to get another deal on the table. So yes, that was a really, really hard time, I think. And that's one of the hardest moments I remember because I had... A really great vision of what Karma Kitchen was going to be, and I was so excited to deliver on that. And suddenly, something was out of my hands, yeah. and it had it. What can you do? Nothing can predict that, and that was that was definitely challenging. And so, had to raise again, but in a very time pressure environment in COVID, which is a very hard time to raise money. That was a very bad time. But we, we we pulled it together. But yeah, I, I didn't know what was gonna happen. And I had to keep the team strong, keep everyone believing that we were gonna turn it around. But it really sat with Eki and me to pull out the bag. And when things get tough, everyone looks to the founders to really hold it together. And if you panic, your team will panic. I always say to my team, like, unless I'm worrying, you don't need to worry. And I said that to Khan's team when COVID hit and everyone was panicking about their jobs. And I said, until you see me worry, do not worry, and that's like really important as a founder that you lead through through crisis and chaos, and you stay calm. And that will be the most challenging part of any founder's journey.
0: Yeah, but I think you know when you when you hit those walls in a business, you do have those times where you don't sleep and you feel yeah. sick to your stomach and filled with dread. Yeah, and it's like very very difficult. And I think obviously you of. You must be a good leader intuitively because nobody had led you, nobody had managed you. You didn't have an example of Mm. what good or bad looked like. And you were very, very young as well when you started the business. How, or maybe you did, but how did you not blur boundaries? Because Mm. that's a really key. I know for my first business, boundaries were non-existent. I, I got too involved in my staff's lives yeah how do you how did you know where to toe the line yeah it's such an interesting one i
1: probably made mistakes i mean the early days of Karma definitely we were not good managers and i think about i think back to times that i've had conversations where i wasn't a good manager and i wasn't a good leader and i can be fully accountable but i was also 21 and Eki was like 20 just 23 so we had to learn from making those mistakes and having a really great team around me. I've had, I always like ask for feedback as a manager too. I think it's really important important to learn from your team, mm. and I still do even with my team now. Like I, in reviews, want to know what I can do more of. Is there anything that I'm not doing? I want. I'm still learning. I'm not the perfect manager. I'm not the perfect leader. I don't think anyone can get to that point. So. I'm definitely better than I was in the early days, but I still want to learn. And I want my management team to learn. And to do that, you have to also take on feedback. And it's a hard thing to ask, you know, it's a scary thing to ask, but it's so important. And the the boundaries also are really important between, you know, work colleagues and friends. And I've been really strict with that throughout my whole career. Um, And I've seen, you know, other businesses do it differently. But for me, it's really important to have boundaries because at the end of the day, you can be supportive, but you aren't someone's friend. You're there to give them the best possible opportunities in your business. But you have to also know where those boundaries lay. And that's a really important line to
0: always have. I think it's very, sometimes it's difficult there are times where you can't be liked and respected at the same time, but you need to be respected at all times. Yes.
1: I know that of course there are going to be times where, I mean, as managers and as founders and as people leading, of course, like when things go wrong, people are going to, you're going to be the brunt of a lot of conversations. It's (laughs) okay. They're going to go home and that's okay. And you just have to, that's okay. And like, you're not there to make friends. You're there to provide an amazing workspace that your team can flourish in. And, I think when people start businesses later in life, they've mm. had like colleagues and friends, and it's a really hard line because they're, they're on their own and they realize that like their team are their team and that they have a function to make sure that their team have a great place to work and have progression. But sadly, they can no longer have those like friendships in the same way. It's okay. You can, you know, it's, it's a type of friendship, but it has a professional element to it. And that's an important thing to really consider.
0: Yeah, I think so. And so, Next question, Yeah. ballpark figure. How much roughly have you raised to date? Yeah, it's over 100 million. Wow. Mm. So for anyone, I think that's a massive achievement. But sadly, the statistics don't lie. For, for a a woman founded business, that's extremely, extremely rare. Is that something you've had time to reflect on and think, we are in the vast minority, like, this is rare.
1: I think that, honestly, you don't really think about anything, but, like, raise money, onto the next thing, what I've got to do, execution. So Mm. I do recognise that raising money is challenging anyways, and I've witnessed it myself, and raising money as a woman in private equity definitely has its challenges too. Um, But I think it's not, I don't want to focus on the challenges and being a woman I want to focus on like okay what do I have to now deliver on like one thing mm. is like saying you want to raise one thing is raising and now it's like I have to deliver for my investors and that's where I focus on. I don't I and I don't spend enough time really looking at what we've done it's just now like okay right we have to deliver on everything that we've promised I think raising that kind of money the the reason we raised such a big fund was because we, re, we the raising journey opened up a lot of different like questions for us about originally we went to raise a smaller like three million and we were looking at VC and actually we learned that our our model doesn't work in that way we are very capital heavy and <laughs> this is the other thing, clueless to knowing what even VC did when I first started Karma Kitchen I just heard like oh people raise through VC great um got rejected from every VC in London and then realized okay this is not the right way to go about raising money I didn't really understand fully about private equity at this stage Until I spoke to one of the big PEs about how to structure a a raise that could be way more appropriate for a real estate business. And that's how the sum was so big is because we basically realized like we're a real estate business, that's what we are. We build kitchens, uh, but we buy freeholds and then we turn them into amazing space. Mm. And that suddenly shifted the way that we started, like who we started talking to. And when we raised that big sum of money, it was to basically be disrupt the real estate market too so it was um a real learning learning journey on like okay you have to understand where the money comes from and what your business is and what you want your strategy and your exit to be to raise the right amount and that yeah, that's kind of how it happened.
0: Is it a bit more of a long game? When you raise that sum of money and you obviously yeah. have plans and ambitions to open up various locations and various places, like it must take a lot of time to yeah. actually get from starting point to even though you don't know where the finishing point is, but it's to get to a point is. where it's like, Okay, bye you're <laughs> <I'm> gonna <laughs> it's sell. It's a massively long game. I mean yeah. you're buying real
1: estate you're building space you're turning it into incredible workspace and then you're growing across London it's not quick there's nothing about this is quick I can tell you that for sure like you know you find a site and you open it that can take a year so um there's nothing speedy about what we do but it's not really about that you know and also you're building an amazing network of clients and you're growing them and these things take time and private equity is way more appropriate for our visions than mm. VC um it is just a, a longer period of time and it does take a lot more money so we we need that like upfront capital um to to even build a site
0: mm. and obviously being an entrepreneur and working for yourself and building companies from the age of 21 yeah. must have meant that you've had to make a lot of personal sacrifices in your life. Do you ever look back and think, not regret because you've achieved so much, so it's very difficult to look back with mm. regret, but do you ever, or, or during that time when all your friends were going out clubbing to early hours, were you ever just thinking, I just want to be 21?
1: Yeah, of course. I was finding the early stage was really challenging because, to be honest, financially, that was the hardest bit. Like, there was a real shift in when our friends started working for companies. They were earning a lot more money than Eki and I. And I really felt behind financially. I really felt stuck. And I struggled with that. You know, I had overheads that my friends were not experiencing. Not only did I have to pay my kitchen rent, but I had to pay my own rent and Eki's rent and staff and I felt really restricted and I felt um quite like I, I definitely felt the financial pressure was different and it was a very different financial position to other friends that was the hardest bit but I had Eki and we were in it together. So we, you know, I definitely did miss out on some of the things that, you know, a 21-year-old does. But then again, I don't know if it's missing out. We tried to do both, you know. Because we're so young, you have a lot of energy and you're like <laughs> up in the kitchen at five, we're out for drinks after work. You just do have yeah. that drive to do everything. I don't regret really anything that we did from that age. I think that it's put us in a good position now. And I think your early 20s, as much as people say like, Oh, you're just young, you're in your early 20s. Like, those are key, key. A, that's a key, like, time to put in the foundations of what you want your future to be. And getting familiar with, like, working and starting a business at, you know, in our early 20s and making mistakes, huge mistakes, so many mistakes, <laughs> <laughs> means that, like, now I really hope that, well, I haven't made those mistakes at Karma Kitchen. I've made other mistakes for sure. Don't worry. Like, we're still making mistakes. But yeah. the mistakes that I made, in the first business, I've learned so much from them and I won't put them into the next thing that I'm doing. So it's all a learning. Um, I don't regret, I don't regret that journey at all.
0: Well, you have a husband, so you've clearly had a bit of time. To... I do
1: apologize to my old ex-boyfriends. I feel like it must've been quite challenging going <laughs> going out with both Eki and I at that time in our life where things were very up in the air. and We are juggling a lot. I'm sure we were hard to, to go out with.
0: Yeah, because I, I think a lot of, um, female entrepreneurs I speak to talk about personal sacrifice and they're like, I don't have time to date. People dumped me because I didn't have enough availability yeah. for them. Yeah, and uh, exactly. <laughs> which, is, which is
1: nuts, but. Never start a relationship when you're starting a business.
0: That's no. the, that's what, <laughs> it doesn't work. It's, it's good to start a relationship when you've come out of one because you're angry and you feel like you have nothing to lose because you're in the depths anyway. Yeah, and so can. it's like, I don't care whose life I put at risk, whose livelihood I put at risk yeah. or what I lose because I have nothing left. so there you go (laughs) great advice I'm not I'm not suggesting everyone should be at the bottom of but that's how I personally started yeah I think it's difficult and and you may not know this yet but what is your big goal or is there something that you think in five years I'd Mm -hmm. like to have achieved dot 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 wow I would say with goals
1: the most interesting thing about a goal that you have is that when you get there It unlocks another goal, and it's really hard for me to say what my big goal is because when I started Karma Kitchen, I thought I was going to have two kitchens, and then as soon as I got to a point where I understand, I understood that my product could really disrupt a market, and it can literally disrupt like the way that real estate works within food, and you know, be a disruptor. It opened a new set of goals. So I don't think that there is. I don't think you can have this big goal. I think it changes every few years. You unlock something mm-hmm. and again with raising money i didn't really know i would ever raise money when i started karma cans i really just thought the only way to run a business is make profit and revenue and that goes back into business i've now unlocked a new kind of category of of cap of money that i didn't think that we'd be able to do so there isn't i couldn't tell you really what that goal is because every two years i think that our mind shifts into a different place and we think okay this is the way that we want to go It's just unknown right now. Obviously I have a business plan and that I want to execute on both sides, Mm. but it could change and it could grow and it could be something, it could be multi-territories, it could be a tech piece. It just depends on so many different things and you don't know what you're going to unlock.
0: I think that's healthy though because a lot of people who say, I have to have done this by five years, or mm-hmm. I have to have done this by ten years. You know, mine was I want to be Forbes thirty under thirty, and I, it never happened. Yeah, Make my first worry. million by thirty. That I didn't never happened. Call out for that. <laughs> I heard people pay for it. Actually, oh, interesting. Not everyone, but some people. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's very healthy not putting in these strict timelines for yourself. Yeah. What if you could give your younger self advice? What would you? What would you tell 21-year-old Jeannie? Oh my goodness, that's a good question.
1: I think that at the beginning of any business, you look a lot at your competition and who else is in the market. And as you grow, I think there's a tendency also to focus too much on the businesses around you. And when you're focusing too much on the businesses around you, I think that you're looking backwards. And I always say that, and Eki and I always talk about like, you know, your competitors, it's important to know like who is doing what you're doing. But if you're so focused on what your competition doing, you are looking backwards, you're not looking forward. So I would tell young me <laughs> to just focus on what we're doing. Because obviously, if I didn't, I remember just competitors, taking up a lot of my mental capacity and worrying about them a lot in catering. It's competitive. I mean, catering is one of the most competitive industries. And now looking back, that was so silly because none of them exist to this day. We have a great product. We still do. We have a really amazing team. Mm. And Karma Kitchen's the same. We're the best at what we do. I know that. I can say that hand on my heart. We have the best product in the market. I don't need to worry about my competitors. I'm sure they're all doing great things. They all specialize in different things. But we know that we're the best. Building the best way with an incredible team and our clients tell us that too. Focus on being the best, having the best product, but also pushing yourselves, pushing your product because we should be doing more and we should be thinking about next year what we want to achieve. Talk to our clients. So I think I would just tell myself to really just...
0: Forget about the others. <laughs> I think that's. I don't know if
1: everyone would agree with that, but no, that's how I, I feel I
0: agree with that because I spent a lot of time looking at other people, what they'd achieved, their businesses, their journeys. You know, Instagram when that became a thing. Yeah. You know, if they had a product, they were getting into this store, that store, and I was thinking, I've not achieved anything like this, and it's so toxic because yeah. you can only look at your own journey, and you everyone has a different timeline for things. Definitely, and you're right. A lot of these people don't actually—not that I would wish them not to succeed—but a mm. lot of them actually don't stand withstand the test of time because maybe they haven't gone through the things you've gone through yeah. and done the failing fast and the you know pivoting to new things when the market needs. So completely, it's a very valuable lesson. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for, for having being me. here. Keep smashing life keep being an example to all the women out there thank you and I'll try. Um, I'm really excited to follow your journey thank you for having me